to look at Psalm 42 together. Um, I told Jamie I, I had a direction in mind for this psalm that I thought would connect really well with Easter. And then the more I got into the psalm and the more I lived this psalm, uh, the more the Lord took me in a different direction. Um, I still think it will be beneficial to you. Uh, just doesn't quite fit with our nice flow we had going on. Um, but we will pick that back up next week as Jamie has a great Palm Sunday message for us um, as we head into the Easter season. So if you have your Bible, um, look at Psalm 42. We'll put it up on the screen. We'll read it together. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and the songs of praise and the multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of the water waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me in prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go down mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, and they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. This has uh, probably been uh, one of the most expensive sermons I've ever prepared for you guys. Um, people ask me all the time, they're like, you know, what's your process for preparing a sermon and what does that look like? And that typically for me means reading the text, studying the text, and living the text. And so my, my applications often come from the experiences that I have wrestling with a text. Well, I've had three weeks to wrestle with this one. And the Lord has been kind and gracious to allow me to see multiple aspects of this psalm along the way. One of the ways, and this is probably the minor way, um, but, but very frustrating. Um, we have not had regular water at our house for three weeks. And, and as of Friday night at 7 o'clock, we have had no water at my house. And it's one of those things where you begin to think, this is personal. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, come on, God. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm your pastor here. You, you need to help a brother out, right? I spent, you know, $2,000 on a new pump, worked for a day. Praise God, this is the problem. Next day, it didn't work. Well, you need a new tank. Spend $1,000 on a tank, works for a day or two. Guess what? Stops working again. So this afternoon, 
Lord willing, we're going to replace the last thing I can replace in my entire water system, and hopefully that will fix the problem. But, but man, it, just, it, gets, it gets under your skin after a while. It starts to feel personal. It, it starts to feel like taunting, right? And that's what David's talking about here in this passage is, is, is the people are looking at him, and, and whatever it is he's going through, we don't know exactly what it is. There does seem to be a physical element of it as well. But, but his enemies are taunting him, where's your God? You're the man of God, right? Why isn't this all working? Why isn't everything going smoothly? And then this week, on top of that, physically, I have just felt horrible. And, and I'll be honest, if it wasn't for a lot of painkillers this morning, I would probably not be standing here. Because it hurts so bad. And again, it's like, come on, God, like, can't, can't, can't we just ease up a little bit here? And it, again, it begins to feel, if I'm not careful, very personal. And this is where we find David. You see, in this psalm, David, like me, the last little bit, his emotions are betraying him. David is feeling something that is not true, and yet he has found himself in a place where he is believing it. Maybe some of you have been in that kind of place. And this is why, for those of you who sometimes ask me this, why we don't just sing happy celebratory songs here at Church on the Way. Because sometimes I don't feel like celebrating. And, and I have to be reminded through song that though he slay me, yet I will follow. Because there are going to be days and weeks, maybe months and years, where that's your song. Because you don't feel like you have anything to celebrate. And so at Church on the Way, we, we want to be uh, well-rounded in our music. We, we want to have celebratory songs because there is so much to celebrate, praise God. But there are also times in which we are going to be struggling and we need to have the words of a song that connect to our struggling the way Psalm 42 connects David's struggling to us this morning. Songs like My Help, My God, we, we sing those songs and they're, they're taken specifically from this psalm, Psalm 42. And we need those songs when it feels, again, feels like God doesn't care. Not that that's true, but again, our emotions betray us into believing that it's true. So here we find David in Psalm 42, in, in what I, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones aptly describes as a spiritual depression. And I want to point out first that that by God inspiring this psalm to be, that God did inspire this psalm to be in our Bible. Which means you, you've got to ask the question, why? Why did he inspire this psalm where David's feelings are obviously wrong? Why did he inspire these words to be in Scripture in the first place? And I think the answer to that is because spiritual depression is a real thing. 
and that every Christian will deal with at some point in their life. And God does not want to leave you ill or unequipped to handle everything that comes in life. And so he inspires David to write this song and to include it in Scripture. I would argue that the more you you follow God and serve God, the more you'll deal with this condition. A quick study of church history will show you many individuals that suffered from the condition of spiritual depression. And there are some of us that are more prone to spiritual depression than others. And there are times when all of us, no matter what our disposition is, are more vulnerable than other times. I want to start this morning by, by looking at four causes of spiritual depression. I think this will be helpful as we get into how do we address spiritual depression. It's just to understand why we might be prone to spiritual depression. And again, I'm going to lean heavily here on Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, he wrote a great book, and I would highly encourage it to you, called Spiritual Depression. Very clever title, right? But, but he outlines this in much greater detail. I'm, I'm just going to give you kind of a high-level view here this morning. But let me start by giving you the four causes, he argues, that we see in Scripture for spiritual depression. One, there is a type of person who is particularly prone to spiritual depression. Now, that doesn't mean that they are any worse than others. It just means they're more prone to it. And some of the greatest saints were this type of person. Okay? The, the type of person that is most prone to spiritual depression is an introvert, what, what we would call today an introvert. Introverts are a type of a person who tends to always be analyzing himself, analyzing everything they do, and worrying about all the possible side effects of the actions in which they do, always harking back, always full of vain regrets. Jones says it may be something that has been done once in the past, but they cannot leave it alone. They cannot undo what has been done, but still they spend their time analyzing and judging and blaming themselves. I'm sure you're all familiar with that type of person. Maybe it's because it's sitting in the seat with you right now. Now, all of that gets transferred into the spiritual realm and into their spiritual life. And Jones says that the danger for such people is that they become morbid. They, they become so introspective and so self-focused that, that they basically freeze up the gears and they can't move forward in their introspection. The second big cause of spiritual depression is physical conditions. And this is probably about as shocking as the, the first cause that he lists, right? Right? If you think that being a Christian makes you immune to the condition of your body, you're deceived. There are certain physical ailments which tend to promote depression. One of the best illustrations I think you can see of this in church history is the greatest preacher who ever preached in London, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. One of the truly great Preachers and writers, of, I'm just a prolific writer. But that great man was subject to spiritual depression. 
And the main explanation in his case was undoubtedly the fact that he suffered from gout, which eventually killed him. He had to face this problem of spiritual depression regularly. He he would want to do something, but yet his body would betray him. He would feel called to, to minister and to work for God, but yet his body would betray him. A tendency for acute depression come along was the, was the accompaniment of the gout that he inherited from his forefathers. And over the years, I have spent so much time sitting with people, and, and I knew in my mind as I'm listening to them share their, their struggles with their spiritual walk with God that, that a big part and a big problem was their physical conditions that they had. And, and that was creating a, a, a holdup, a, a depression in their spiritual life. Because you can't isolate the spiritual from the physical. For we are both body and soul. If, if you've sat in with me for very long, you've heard me use the expression, we are an inner man and an outer man. And when everything is working right, our inner man drives our outer man. How we feel on the inside directs how our body feels. But sometimes our body misfires. Sometimes, no matter what our inner man says, our body fails us. And so one of the, one of the reasons why you may find yourself being more prone to spiritual depression is because of physical conditions in your life. The greatest and best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. And there are some pretty great illustrations of this in Scripture. Third, Jones adds that another frequent cause cause of spiritual depression is what we may describe as a, a reaction. A reaction after a great blessing. A reaction of some unusual, exceptional experience with God. And this might sound counterintuitive because you've just had this amazing experience with God. Why would I be having to think about spiritual depression after that? Well, one only has to think of somebody like Elijah in the Old Testament. He's probably the most prominent example of this in the Bible. Elijah had experienced God's deliverance in a miraculous way. The dude called down fire. Then, when there's a drought, at the end, he says, hey, let there be rain. He starts praying, and all of a sudden, guess what? There's rain. Amazing to be used by God like that. But where do we find him in the next chapter? Sitting under a tree saying, God, kill me. Take me. Right? This is that that reaction that Jones is talking about here, that there was a, a great blessing in his life that's followed by this reaction of spiritual depression. Verse 4, he asks in in 1 Kings 19, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father.
people in your small groups that have this amazing experience with God, and they come to your small group, and they just talk about, oh, God has done all this amazing stuff. Watch them closely. Because not every time, but oftentimes, the tendency is to go from the mountaintop into the valley. And so we need to be aware and on guard and prepared for that reality. This morning, I, I hope that I am preparing you for that reality if you are not already prepared. But fourth, the ultimate cause of all spiritual depression, Jones argues, is unbelief. Unbelief. And we see that in this psalm. For if it were not for unbelief, the enemy would have nothing to work with in our life. It's the enemy, instead of listening to God, that we fall for his attacks. That's why the psalmist keeps on saying to himself, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And Jones sums up all these reasons by saying the final and ultimate cause is just sheer unbelief. Right? You think about what happens when our again, the pain goes for. What is that? It's unbelief. It's unbelief that God cares. This is the final and ultimate cause of all spiritual depression. Well, now that you understand a little bit of, of why you might get spiritual depression, let, let's look at how David responds to this spiritual depression. And I want to look at five ways. There, there's, there's more in this psalm, but I want to look at David fights against his depression of the soul. First, he asked God why he has forgotten him. That's the first thing he does. Why have you forgotten me? He responds to the circumstances in his life by asking God, why? I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Verse 9. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversary, adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now David uses the word forgotten here in verse 9. But again, this is David's emotions and his feelings betraying him. Because just, just stop for a minute and ask yourself, is it possible for God to forget him? It's not possible. David, on some level, knows that, but right now his experience, his feelings, his emotions tell him something different. And David here is letting his emotions betray his logic. Even one verse before, David has just said, the Lord commands his steadfast love. So what does David mean here in this verse? 
David means here that because of his circumstances, he feels like God has forgotten him. And I don't know about you, but I love the fact that that question is in the Psalms. That that question is recorded in God's holy scripture. Because I wish I could say I've never asked that question myself, but I would be a liar. Right? When our emotions betray us, it affects our theology. Things we, we know to be true, we forget. And we say things that don't line up with our beliefs. And notice something really encouraging in this psalm. God doesn't strike David down and kill him for asking the question. Why? Because that's where David was. God doesn't want you to come to him pretending that you're something that you're not. He wants us to be open and honest with everything we are experiencing, even when it's wrong. He wants us to ask the question, why? And David asked why. It's a legitimate question. He may not have asked the question with theological precision, right? He might not have used all the right words, but God is patient with him. Man, that is encouraging to me this morning. Just as he is patient with us when our emotions and feelings betray us. You see, sometimes we, we need to be careful as believers that, that we don't cut off and correct incorrect language and miss where the person is at physically and emotionally. If God can be patient with him, so, so can we. That doesn't mean we don't bring them back to the truth as we see David coming back to the truth. But, but sometimes it's okay to just listen and to hear where people genuinely are. Otherwise, all we're going to do is promote a group of people faking it until they make it. And that's not the gospel, folks. Second, he stops listening to himself and he starts talking to himself. Again, if you've been around me for very long, that's a common piece of advice that I give to people. Stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Right? He's talking to himself. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He repeats that in verse 11. Sitting in the counseling room, one thing I'm often struck by is the things people hear in their head on repeat. Sometimes these tape messages were recorded by their, their parents or their grandparents or family members. Things like, you're fat. You're never going to amount to much. There's something wrong with you. You're a weirdo. You're a liar. After years of hearing these messages, they begin to believe them. David here in this verse, and at the end of verse 11, is trying to record over such messages looping in his head. 
Namely, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? That's, that's what's stuck on repeat in his head. If David just listened to himself, that's what he would hear. And so David goes on the offense and instead starts speaking to himself instead of listening to himself, speaking the truth. In addition to the voice in his head, he hears the constant refrain from his enemies, right? And that, that only reinforces the message that's in his head. And this is a, a side note, totally free. I'm not charging you for this. But this is why it's so important for you parents to watch the way you describe your children. There's a huge difference between saying your kid lied and your kid is a liar. The first is an accurate description of their sin. The second is an identity. And if they hear it long enough, they begin to believe it. That's who I am. That's what I am. The difference between the two can wreak havoc on your kid and on your relationship with them. All right, that was for free. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones describes the difference here between listening to yourself and talking to yourself. Listen, listen to how he puts it. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come at you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this, this treatment here in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, David starts talking to himself. Why art thou, why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him and crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Now, the Bible describes our enemy as an accuser. And, and one of the greatest weapons against humanity is this. Getting us to accuse ourselves. That, that's, that's his most ingenious weapon he ever created. Because like I tell people all the time, when it comes to our enemy, he is not like God. He is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. There are seven and a half billion of us and one of him. You say, well, he has some people working with him. Yeah, Paul calls them powers, principalities, uh, rulers in high places. Yes, that's true. But again, there's a limited number of them. And we keep growing exponentially. He had to find a way to delegate. So he did. Instead of him going around and accusing all of y'all, he lets you accuse yourself. Now, he may use parents, family members, classmates, friends, even church people who are careless with their words to create a loop of accusation in your head. And this loop is played over and over and over by us, not the enemy. We do it for him. This is why when I'm working with someone and I encourage them 
to speak truth to the lies. And the best way to do that is by memorizing Scripture so you are ready to speak truth to yourself. You don't have to go find your Bible. You don't have to go find your phone. You don't have to go look it up. You've already got it in your mind, and you're able to speak truth to the lies that you're hearing in your head. In addition, we need to be well-versed in the gospel, not just so we can share it with others, but so that we can share it with ourselves. Often, we need to daily preach the gospel to ourselves. When we don't preach the gospel to ourselves, we will not be able to bear correction from others. When we, when we don't preach the gospel to ourselves, we become miserable and vulnerable to spiritual depression. Learn to preach the gospel to yourself daily. As believers, we have so much more than David did. We're going to be studying this in Ephesians, but we have the whole armor of God that we get. David's using what he's got the, the, the hesed, the steadfast love of his God, he's, he's speaking that truth to himself, but we have so much more. We have Jesus coming, living a perfect life and dying on a cross, giving up his life, forfeiting his life to take the penalty for our sin, being raised again on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father. That's our God. That's what we know. David didn't know anything about that. But David used what he had. And that's the third thing. David reminds himself of God's sovereign love for him. That's what David had. We've talked about this all throughout the first book of Psalms. This idea of hesed, it just it comes up over and over. This covenant-keeping love, this, this sovereign love that God has for his people. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. In verse 8, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. In verse 5 and 11, he calls God my salvation and my God. David, even in the midst of his spiritual depression, is reminding himself of the truth. David feels that God has forgotten him. But David knows deep down that God has not and cannot ever truly forget him. And notice here, David's situation and circumstances haven't changed. This psalm doesn't end with a happy, happily ever after. He's still preaching to himself, trying to get himself out of this, this bottomless hole that he finds himself in. And I would argue that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, in my opinion, are all part of one psalm. And so it just carries right on over into the next psalm. He doesn't wait for things to get better to remind himself of the truth about God. He reminds himself in the midst of the storms of life. You see, David never stops believing that God is with him. In verse 7, when he says, Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The breakers and the waves represent all the oppression that David is experiencing. And notice whose breakers and waves they are. Are they my enemies' waves and breakers? Are they the enemies' waves and breakers? 
No, he says, your, your breakers and your waves have gone over me. All of these things that David is experiencing, he sees as waves of God. And some of you at this point may object to this truth about God. And say, I, 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 don't, I don't know about this, Dale. This is, you're saying all of the problems that David is experiencing comes from God? Comes through God? I'll only remind you of this. Your life will never be stable if you believe that God does not rule over the breakers and the waves. Some of you, like me, have learned this the hard way. Some of you are in the midst of learning it now. Some of you have not yet experienced his truth, but live long enough and you will have to come to the same conclusion that David comes to. What hope would David have if he did not believe that God was in ultimate control of the circumstances of his life? What hope would he have? If there were these things exercising outside of God's control, how could he hope and cling to God? No, David understands these are your breakers, these are your waves that are washing over me. David reminds himself of God's sovereign love for him through all of the troubles that he experiences. Fourth, he remembers past corporate worship experiences. All throughout the book of Psalms, we've been talking about corporate worship as these were often the songs that would be sung in the temple, the songs that would be read at festivals. And here we find David reminding himself of the joyous times of worshiping with other believers. Notice in verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. David is reminding us here of why corporate worship is so important. We, we, we fight, we, we have fought so hard over the last couple of years to keep us together, to keep us in person, to keep us singing together. And this is why. And sadly, so many people take corporate worship, the corporate gathering, for granted. But God uses our corporate worship to instill grace in our lives. And that's what David is doing here. He is reminding himself of the grace that has been given to him through that corporate worship. This is an important means of grace for us as believers. I think about that video of the Ukrainians we just watched in their bunkers in their basements, singing that psalm while they recall all the times that they were gathered together. And right now, it's not safe for them to do that. So they're, they're praising God in their bunkers or in their basements, wherever they can be safe. But reminding themselves of all the times that they spent together worshiping as a body. You see, corporate worship is a supernatural work of God. And David is renewing his faith, even amidst his depression, by remembering how real God was in corporate worship. Notice in verse 8, that even leads him to singing in this state. He's, he's spiritually depressed, but yet it, in verse 8 it says that he starts singing. The songs by night, that, that's probably 
the song that the psalm that we have here. Because of the supernatural work of the Spirit, God has given us Psalm 42 to be able to study this morning. Fifth, and finally, David thirsts for God. David paints a very vivid picture of him thirsting for God like a deer pants for a stream in verse 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My, God, my, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Again, I want you to notice something that's very important in these verses. David is not thirsting for his depression to lift. David is not thirsting for his circumstances to change. David is not practicing escapism in this psalm. This, is, this isn't a, hey, Lord, pull the eject button, get me out of here, right? And, and listen, it's not wrong to pray and ask for those things. I, listen, I've been praying for water for three weeks. And if you would join me in praying, I would appreciate that. But there's nothing wrong with praying for that. But, but that's, not, that's not David's main objective in this psalm. That's not what David is hoping to get in this psalm. He's not hoping to just get a happy life and an easy life, a stress-free, carefree life. The most important thing to David is that he longed to see the living God. And that's the most important thing for us this morning, is that we will see the living God. David prays that he would be satisfied in seeing and praising the living God. And this is the ultimate hope in this psalm. God. Not, not a change in our circumstances, not a change in our physical conditions, not a change in our spiritual depression, but that we would see God. This morning, maybe you had to drag yourself into the building. Maybe some of you are watching at home and because you didn't even have the strength to come in person. Perhaps you're struggling with spiritual depression today. And if you're not this morning, praise God, but always be on guard. But this morning, if you are suffering from spiritual depression, I pray that you, like David, will, one, be honest with how you feel. Even though those feelings may be betraying you, be honest about that. Second, stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Speak the truth to yourself. And if you need help with that, ask someone in your small group. Come see me. Find someone that can help you speak truth to the lies. Third, remind yourself of God's sovereign love for you. There's no circumstance that does not go through his hands. Remember past corporate worship experiences and thirst for God this morning. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you for including this, God, so that when we experience this, when we walk through these valleys, God, that we are reminded that we are not alone. And you have not left us ill-equipped or unprepared, Lord, to be able to face this challenge in our life. And Father, I just pray this morning for anyone who is walking through this right now. Lord, maybe their feelings are betraying them and they, like me, have, have begun to think, man, this is personal. This, this, is, this is not right. And it, it's caused them to doubt their faith, to doubt you. And it's led them to unbelief. Lord, I pray this morning that this, this text would encourage them and you would use this psalm to encourage them this week to remind themselves of the truth. That you are sovereign and that you love us. And that it's impossible for you to forgive us. That your breakers and waves, they do wash over us, God. But in Christ, we are never washed away. And Lord, for those who aren't in that place today, I, I encourage them to pray for others who are. Pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are fleeing and on the run, taking only what they can carry. Father, burden our hearts for those who are suffering. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.